program with uh, uh, Apostle Baker J. Baker, who is a doctor in psychology. And, and we are here, I'm here, I want you to share this program with your with your friends and family and your interviews and all of that. By the time you they finish watching this series of programs, they'll be your friend. We are here to provoke you to think about how you think about the word of God, the kingdom of God, and how it manifests or does not manifest in your life. And the reason this program is called Still Telling It Like It Is, because we do not compromise. We don't have one, one thing today and another thing later on. And I have my friend and co-laborer together with me, who is Apostle Barry Cook who is also, uh, he's a doctor, uh, a theologian. I call him a theologian. Well, I don't like the word theologian, but he understands history, Bible history. And without any further introduction of him, come on, uh, Apostle Barry. Praise God. And we thank you for joining in to the broadcast today. And it's uh, an honor to be here as a guest. Um, we left off in the last uh, session um, giving some historical evidences of women in leadership positions. We talked about some things from Pliny and Justin Martyr, and I just want to continue and pick up and proceed forward on this subject. And the reason I'm saying this is because what, as we talk about this subject, and you might be thinking, well, I already believe that, and I'm not sure. Strengthen what you believe so you can help other people. And at the same time, um, you know, as well as I do, it's not well received in a lot of places. And um, I tell people, just do it. Let them argue with your works, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, of course, I know that there's mindsets that stand against anointings with women. But now here's my point in this. As we go through this and you hear different things, this is just one of the subjects that your belief systems might be stuck in antiquous thought patterns, you know, <laughs> old thought patterns, you know, um, and some of them are on the shelf and never get used anymore because they're not really usable. And so it's time to revisit some of those things in the spirit and understand as we continue on this, I want to, I'm going to lead out with Dodwell and his dissertations on Irenaeus. He spoke of the gifts. He said the gift of the spirit. And we're talking about historians throughout history. We talked about 100 AD, AD 150. We're just moving down history. And so in his dissertations of Arrhenius says, the gift of the spirit of prophecy was given to others um, that besides the men apostles, like it was a, he was surprised. He says, and that not only in the first and second, but in the third century, uh, even to the time of Constantine, Men had these gifts, but yea, also the women. For there was not a distinction until the church decided against it and had not been until the time of Christ. Is your pastor reading you that? that? No. Um, what about Eusebius? He speaks in another historian, and he speaks of um, Padomea Animus, which, you know, I know you might not be familiar with these people, but that was a prophetess in Philadelphia, not the United States, Philadelphia, but and others who were equally distinguished. Remember the Church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelations? Yeah, that one. Okay. Who were equally distinguished for their love and zeal in the cause of Christ. And there was so many uh, women that it was hard to discern 
when they begin to minister, who was male and who was female, right? They were under authority. They were flowing under the mission of Christ. They were united in their order. They were caring for the people. They were submitted to authority and they were functioning in their gift and calling and flowing together as one. There was no distinction. We're the ones that complicate that kind of stuff. Oh, you're a female because you know, you've got breasts and that's, you know, you're not qualified to preach. That hinders you from preaching. Oh, stupid stuff, stupid stuff. So, but you know, that's the kind of stuff we hear. It continues to go on Tertullian, which many people have heard of Tertullian. Now we get into some folks that Tertullian is one of the earliest Latin fathers, which one of my favorites in a lot of ways, he wrote a lot of good stuff, notes that women that appear in in every, now listen to this, every early reference to ecclesiastical orders were included in every ecclesiastical order. There was women in leadership from the very beginning of the church inception up until several hundred years later. For titles, he writes, are applied to the women clergy all of which occur in the New Testament. And then he goes on to name them. And these are those of prominence and even apostolic orders. We think we got that new word, apostolic order. It's not new. You know, Marcella, he preached publicly in Rome. And Jerome, born in AD 340, um, and a translator, by the way, if you didn't know this, of the Latin Vulgate Bible, um, writes of her. And he says, all that I learned with great study does not compare to the blessed Marcella, for she learned and gave such revelation in her expositions, and with great accuracy she could answer any question. For the men would look to her, for the spirit of revelation would rest upon her, and she would often set the order needed in the sanctuary, and the men would execute. This was something that had not normally been seen, but we celebrate their immense influence for the good in Rome. I mean, this is history, folks. Okay, what about the catacombs? In almost all the catacombs all around the globe, the earliest one have representations of women clergy presiding over congregations and even areas, entire areas. Uh, Malibum, a French writer, an ecclesiastical biographer of iniquities, <laughs> records that the evangelization of Europe was due in part to these women who were order of nuns of St. Benedict, who came in contact with these preachers and apostles from other lands and who absorbed their ministry so well that it seemed as though after the men left, they now held or had in, been infused with the same anointing. Therefore, they were cast out from the nuns of Benedict and established their own order and evangelized the entire region in three years. God's calling people whether you like it or not. <laughs> He's going to get his work done. All those men were sitting around having meetings talking about, no, wait, stop. You can't work, stop. They said, okay, well, we're just going to go ahead and do it. And they did and established an order. Among the Montoists, and maybe you're familiar with this, who were evangelicals of the third century, Priscilla, Maximilla, 
that ring a bell? No. Okay. Anyway, these were these were prominent ladies of the time that served as evangelists over a wide extent of the region known. And it's recorded in the history of this time around 400 AD that women were elected continuously in all the churches, deacons, pastors, presidents, presbyters, bishops, elders, deacons. They served in every capacity when the, in the church, and some of them sustained the church until there was enough men to be saved to assist and then help in leadership. How about that? It's all women. I ain't going in there. They had to do it because the men were sitting around, and they were fired up and had a revelation, and they went out and God anointed them. But that you see, even the history records, they were doing it to get men on up there. They did, They knew that both needed to be operative. How come men don't know that? I need that oil. <laughs> all right. You know, you know, it goes on to say, I mean, we go on to talk about the different things that have been written on it, but you know, the leadership positions were among elders in the church. And I want to talk about this for just a moment because we know if Deborah was a judge and she was included under the masculine plural Hebrew title judges. But we know. Deborah was a woman, but her title interpretive was judge or judges in a male format. It was signifying the male as simply being a headship, not a gender. Light that one up. You know, there's old folks who tell me, them old, old, old street folks that get saved say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. You know, I'm like, I put that revelation in there. Let it, let it churn on you for just a minute. You know, because that's good stuff right there. You know, the these women in the Bible were prominent in the time. Phoebe and other women listed in Scripture were included under a masculine. Now, listen to this. This is important when people start tossing about it. It says men. It says, okay, okay, listen to what I'm saying. Because it's telling you, when you go and start looking up the words around the Scriptures, it says Phoebe and other women were included with men under the masculine Greek title Diochonus in Romans 16, 1, and in 1 Timothy 3, 8, when it's talking about men and let the men, talking about bishops and overseers, let the men, it's, it's a genderless term speaking of who's in charge. Whoever the elder is, male or female, that's in charge, that has a leadership charge, that has a leadership, meaning they're I don't want to say this, uh, you know, wrongly, but they're a progenitor of the movement. <laughs> you understand? Now think about a man. He's a progenitor of a child. So I use that term. I could have used a more, you know, but he's a progenitor. So they're using the term saying they're the progressors. They're the one duplicating. They're the one reproducing more people in the church. So they get a male role title because they're recognized as not just people that have a title, but they're people that produce that particular work. So it's not hard to recognize callings on people when the works that they do are those callings and they're evident. It's evident to all. So like it or not, you got to cope with it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Talk, Dr. B. I have a, I want you to, uh, something just came to me, you know, in the, in the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, he made, he made him, he, he made man, 
um, male and female. He made them. But he called man, here's a male man, and here is a woe man, which means woman, I mean, man with a womb. So he, uh, in, in that, the no respecter of persons, the no respecter of the, anyway, I, I'm just throwing that out there because I, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I want you to get. Yeah, yeah. And I know I'm tearing on this, but I found that I didn't, I didn't hang around on some of these subjects because it might sound like, okay, keep going. But the problem is when you get out there and start trying to live it out, the things you're going to hear back are this nitpicky stuff. And, um, and when you know it, you can't be moved. I mean, they can say whatever they want to, but if they if they refuse it, it's because they refuse to to look at the truth. And that's different. And that's, okay, okay, God bless you. See you around. I'm good. <laughs> you know, okay. I'm going to I'm just say one more thing about this particular thing, about the way passages are used in Scripture and how we need to understand the usage of male often. Not every time people don't, you know, I found this one. I understand. Just like when Carl Pearson was talking about hell and he wrote a book about it. And one of his books, he said, he said, you know, hell represents a place in the soul. This is one of the bunny trails in it, Dr. B, you're talking about. He said the hell is a place in the soul. Well, and, and the, these scriptures refer to that. Okay, that's true, but, it, and I'm not saying this against him. I had a discussion with him about it, but if you know him, he's a sweet guy. He just laughed and said, I hear you, brother. That's all he said, though. You know? I said, but you left out the ones that spoke of a literal hell. I said, what about this one, this one, this one? That? I know, but these made my point. Oh, my God. That's the problem. You got to at least be willing to say, okay, the majority of these mean this over here. However, there still is these, and it does mean little. So I can't really brace that. I just don't like it. Okay, that's different than trying to tell everybody it's not in there when it's in there. He's just he's expecting what's normal, and that is nobody will look it up. You know. So anyway, so. Oh, I see that again. <laughs> nobody will know. Oh, that's good. I, that's what I believe. You don't know nothing. You just talk. You know, somebody else come along and tell you something, mm, that makes more sense. I know. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You know, that's why we need establishing ministries and we have to be submitted to truth and not just every knucklehead. But anyway, in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, Paul mentions female elders. He says, presbyteri, alongside male elders, ped, uh, uh, presbyteral. So translators often assume that the passage only referring to older men and older women. If you know what I'm talking about, I just don't have time to read every scripture. But Paul uses the same word in the masculine uh, form of the church office of elder. Um, later on in the same chapter, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 19, uh, he uses it differently. Now watch this. It's hard to imagine the same word being used in the same chapter with two unrelated meanings when they're on the same subject in the same train of thought. So the fact that the masculine form of the word denotes the office of an elder in 1 Timothy 5, 7, and 19 suggests that the same word in its masculine and feminine forms always also referred to, or at least includes a reference to, the office of the elder. And sorry if that don't make sense to you. Like I say, you'll catch it in a minute. But there's, there's an, I'm just trying to say the usage of the word is often, you know, well, let's see, it says, and let that man, okay, you better look it up. 
to understand clearly what he's talking about. You know, sometimes it's a literal statement. Sometimes it's he's he's speaking language that they were accustomed to. See, here's one other thing, I guess, with bunny hopping again. And that's the issue of authority. They didn't have an issue of authority. They understood authority. So they understood they might be better at something than the person in charge, but they recognize leadership. And see, that's something in the New Testament. You see a group of elders around, and, and sometimes the one that they ended up having be in charge wasn't the one that was the deepest, wasn't the one that was the most spiritual, wasn't the one that saw the most miracles. They had a, a balance of everything to a greater degree than some of these had it. Now, these might have had, the others may have had one or two things that were greater than him. But they, they were cool with that. They knew we need to change players on this one. Okay, you need to be out, you need to be out there on this one. Yeah, but you could do it too. I can, but you got a thing on this one. Go. You know, I'll come in right after you and I'll bring support scriptures to it or whatever. But they're working together. It wasn't. We had but that, but my pictures on the flyer, not theirs. <laughs> it's like, and that's the stupidity we're run by. You know, that's the problem, you know. Well, nobody will come unless I put my picture on there. I know, I know, I get it. It is like that. You put a picture on your Facebook page, you get 700 likes. You put a quote uh, from the Bible, you get 25. You know, it's like, we'd rather see the picture. So what I do, you put a picture of yourself, and then you put real hard, deep stuff on it, and God tricked you. With the clickbait back at you, baby. So anyway, <laughs> so there's architectural evidence that is post-biblical early church there were women elders alongside male elders. Um, when you look, and I can give you some places to look, the ministry of women in the early church, um, the archaeological evidence, I believe it was Duke uh, Divinity School Review. Um, it, it, that was put out. Also, I want to tell you, in Egypt, in the second, third century, inscriptions refers to a woman named Pentecost, who is a presbyter and a female elder that influenced the entire, that's what it says, the entire scope of Egypt. And Egypt had a huge scope. And basically, she says, as it, the, the writer says, as it seems that she had a regional grace that overcame the traditions of the region. Ooh, that girl carried an apostolic anointing on her that overrode all of their teaching, all of their Zeus, all of their Hermes, all of their philosophy, all of their stuff. It overrode all of it and brought Christ into it and one convert so much that the Egyptian historians were going, good God, this woman's incredible. They called her an apostle, <laughs> okay? These were heathens, I know that, but I'm just saying they had enough sense to recognize Okay, this woman ain't just a preacher. She's not just a sharer. She's not just a prophetess. This woman's bad. I mean, she is forming churches. She's taking over a region. She's humble before the for the city and the leadership, yet she is intent and she's willing to die for it. And she's got other people that are going to continue it after we go. What do we do? Egypt in the third century, Bishop um, Diogenes, I believe was his name, if I'm, if I'm not correct. He set up a memorial. Um, 
to uh, a woman named Ammonian, the female elder. <laughs> That's what he called it. But it's a memorial. He built a huge statue in the area. Understand, Egypt wasn't in favor of Christianity, but they liked what happened to their city when Christianity came into it. They said, here recorded in the third century by this bishop, he said, the corruptness in business begin to level out when these women begin to run throughout the region and preach and set up the kingdom of God. It was amazing because for years we had got no results, but yet their grace was greater than ours. And we were forced to submit, even though we were the ones set in by the elders. Yet these were the ones that incorporated and they gladly submitted to us and we to them, and then we changed Egypt. Good God. I mean, just love that. Love that. Last one on this is in Rome in the fourth century. I'm just telling you guys, you got to realize some of that stuff you've been told about women not being able to function in the church and have leadership roles is I, I can't even believe I'm so over it. I don't even think about it anymore. So when I'm talking about this, I'm thinking, oh, this is probably stuff everybody's heard. But then I get out of here and I realize I start hearing stuff and I'm thinking, Lord, Jesus, guys, come on. We're so antiquated in this. But the fourth century um, Basilica of Prudentania, I can't remember quite how to pronounce it. I see the word in my mind, but Prudentania um, and Proxius contains a mosaic uh, uh, drawing, you know, mosaic, many, many pictures all in one frame. And, and it says, and, and, it, and it's full of women that were influencing the region. Bishop Theodora <laughs> being the predominant influence in the land. And it says that the other bishops in the area, I'm just referring to bishops by this time. Everybody's called bishop. You know, if you're over a church, you're called up to everybody. And, and elders in the region had to understand because her works outdid them. And yet she submitted to grueling tasks they put her through and still continued to win souls and work miracles and change the region until the church had to go to them and submit. What about that? Don't you tell me history doesn't say that. Don't tell me this is the way it's been since Jesus. That's a lie from the pit of hell. So this is this is before the church took it and changed some stuff. Now, uh, we can't be confused about it. They weren't interpreting those scriptures that we interpret in the New Testament as, well, see, a woman's not. So they weren't interpreting at that time to mean that a woman couldn't do anything. They understood Paul was writing to specific situations going on in those churches. That's what those epistles were addressed at. They were addressing specific problems, not contradicting what had been done since the beginning. I'll take a breath, Dr. B. <laughs> this is so necessary. This is so necessary what we have had and what we have actually done is that we have thought that people had uh, a historical understanding, biblical historical understanding. And we thought that people did what it is because we hear the scripture so often 
study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. So what it is that we're doing, and I'm, I'm just so honored that um, I can uh, help to pull these things out of you, is that you're actually articulating in a manner that people can get it and you're going slow enough and methodically enough for people to be able to to really take notes to redo this and i'm glad we're doing this in a 27 28 minute uh, 27 25 minute thing because it gives people they can study it this week they can study this this week and they can say okay i i i have this or they can send questions to apostle barry uh, through more than enough or whatever, so that we can do this. And I'm just, I, I, I know that that people are going to be uh, inviting friends and all of that. Every person, everyone, they didn't understand, as you had mentioned earlier, that when when these things were happening, that the, the first apostles, that the first believers, the first kingdom dwellers, or whatever you want to call them, but they had an understanding, they had an understanding. And I'm so honored, I'm so humbled that you are taking the time to do this, to give people this understanding so that the mind can change. You know, I'm a doctor in psychology, you have all of this stuff and whatever, but this is what you're doing. This is helping people to work out their soul salvation. And so uh, we still got a couple of minutes. So go ahead and take those to let them know what you're gonna do next week or however, whatever it is you're gonna do. Yeah. Amen. Well, we're going to continue down the line. I want to talk a little bit about the church of Laodicea in AD uh, 363. And they're the first one to take women out uh, off the, uh, uh, allow them to be in leadership. They had had women up until then. And then Revelations 3, 14 through 22, if you reread it, and I'm not going to take the time to read the letters, and the, but when you read it, they were having a, a problem because a woman came in teaching and corrupting the people. And she was highly anointed, more anointed, and they submitted to her. And then she ended up wrecking the church. So their response, instead of setting order to it and calling out the wrong, but encouraging the right, they cut it out, which because they cut it out, then brought the discussion to another panel a few years later in which they decided, well, you know, well, why don't we just cut it across the board? You know, and I guess if I want to say anything in closing, I just want to encourage everybody that, you know, God's in a time right now where he's trying to restore things. And it's been, we've been in a dormant place in the church. It has seemed we've been through a lot nationally and even globally with a, a pandemic and other things. But I hear and feel and sense as many people do the spirit of the Lord. The winds are beginning to blow. There's a coolness in the wind and the spirit that's coming to send refreshing to the heat that's been here. And he's looking for those that have been in this place, but they held on and have been tried by times and fire, yet they're still hungry for truth. And although they've been willing to set down their faith, they couldn't. There was something in them drawing. You come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This type of information is preparing us for another sweep of God's spirit that will be different and will set up and will accomplish things according to a shift that we have been putting off for too long in the church. God's going to have his way. It's not necessarily going to be like we think it is, but many of the things we took out, God is re forming to restore and recast us and prepare us for the days ahead. 
So join us again next week when we are still telling it like it is with Apostle uh, Baker J. Baker, who is a doctor in psychology, and Apostle Barry Cook, doctor, doctor, and and I call him uh, my my historian. So anyway, thank you, thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>